Welcome into the Daily Illini Sports Podcast. It's Josh Peach and Carson Gordy joined with Alex Faber of the State News from Michigan State. Thanks for coming on, Alex. No problem. It's been a weird couple of weeks, but uh, glad to be here. Yeah, so what's it been like covering Michigan State this year? You said you're a senior. It's your first year on the beat, you know, especially after the Peach Bowl appearance last year. It's probably not what most people thought for the Spartans. No, I I, I was a lot uh, lower on Michigan State than a lot of uh, – a lot of my fellow classmates, I uh, had them about seven, eight wins. But uh, yeah, the bottom has really fell off the team lately. Um, obviously, last week you had that incident. It's It's been a tough, tough year. Yeah, and you know, it's surprising because when you think of Michigan State, you know, you think of Le'Veon Bell, Javon Ringer, you know, Kenneth Walker, like a great running game. This year, you know, they're only averaging 97 yards on the ground. Like, why is there not an emphasis on developing the run game? Is it a personnel issue? So you're going to hear from Mel Tucker at all his conference press conferences. Um, he refuses to blame scheming or personnel. What he'll say is it is a lack of ex- execution. Um, but I tend to believe that it's more offensive line and, and a bit of play calling too. Um, Jay Johnson's play calling this year. Um, I'll start by saying he knows a lot more than me and I'm not calling for his job, but at times it's been very suspect. Um, the run game is just he, – he tries to establish it just at the oddest times. Um, direct Broussard transfer from uh, Wisconsin has – or, excuse me, from Colorado has been lackluster. Jalen Berger, the transfer from um, Wisconsin, has also been kind of lackluster. Um, and then they just haven't got the push out of the offensive line that you would have expected. Um, last year, the offensive line wasn't anything special, um, but Kenneth Walker kind of overcame those issues. Um, and Jalen Berger is a fine running back, but I don't think he's he's good enough to overcome those issues. So I, I think it's a combination of scheming and of just specifically offensive line personnel. Yeah, you know, and it seems like Michigan State, they're really a victim of their own success. Like last year, what were they projected 13th in the Big Ten Conference and they went a Peach Bowl. So I think for a lot of people, they probably thought, wow, you know, Illinois can start competing with the Michigans, the Ohio States, Penn States consistently. Like you look at the recruiting classes, they're strong. You know, I felt like Mark D'Antonio did kind of leave this program in a pretty bad shape, though. Am, am I wrong? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right there. Um, I think this season has been so bad that it's made people forget um, just how bad D'Antonio was at the end, kind of with rose tinted glasses. I mean, near the end, D'Antonio's recruiting classes were terrible. Um he refused to change personnel uh, or a coaching staff or anything. It, it, it was an awful end. Um, and, and with how bad the season has been, people are kind of looking back with rose tinted glasses. They're thinking about the 2013 uh, Rose bowl. They're thinking about the, the college football playoff. They're not thinking about how it was at the end. So uh, I think last year's 11 and two record also kind of set expectations a little too high. Uh, we need to remember where, like you said, D'Antonio left the program at the end. It was not in a good spot. Um, one good season doesn't erase years of bad recruiting and years of stagnant, just being stagnant as a program. Um, so yeah, the, the D'Antonio effect is still being felt. And, and I think people don't want to hear that, I guess they, they want a quick and easy answer. They want to say it's just Mel Tucker struggling and he, and he's still working on building the program. I think last year was a bit of a mirage. Yeah. You know, the one thing, like we talk about Illinois, like I was super frustrated with Brett Bilma last year because of his offensive coordinator, but then he fired Tony Peterson. It seemed like what hurt D'Antonio was keeping Dave Warner as offensive coordinator for way too long. And I don't know, do you kind of see that with Mel Tucker? I mean, last year, you know, Scott Hazleton was able to keep his job as defensive coordinator, despite, you know, the past defense. Like, do you think Tucker needs to make adjustments to the coordinator positions? So 
just because of how banged up the defense has been this year and and how poor the offensive personnel is, I don't think I'm in a place where I can I can specifically call out guys, but he needs to review them. Um, specifically Jay Johnson. Um, he brought him over from Colorado. He was a coach there at Colorado. Um, I don't expect any coaching changes in the middle of the season, but he certainly needs to review that, that at the end. Because as I mentioned before, I mean the play calling has been suspect on offense. Uh, last week, you look against Michigan. Um, they went for it on fourth down, I think, four times by the, at the end of the night. The first two times, they didn't line up under center. Um, first time was Peyton Thorne was in shotgun. They ran, like, just a run in the inside, which on fourth down, you, you, you're you not going to line up under center. And then the next was a delayed handoff in, in pistol formation. So, like, you just point to instances like that where you think, like, what is the offensive play calling there? What Like, what are you thinking there? Um, but, again, just with – with where the state of the program was when he took over. Um, I think they need to wait until the end of the season, let things settle down. Um, I would be concerned if he didn't say we're at least reviewing the process though. They, th- those people definitely need to be reviewed and they, they need to have those conversations, those tough conversations. So overall then what are people, you know, thinking about Mel Tucker right now? Because obviously last year was great. He gets this 10 year, $95 million contract, which granted is a lot privately funded, right? Which you don't really see, but it's still humongous contract. Um, you're ranked well inside the AP top 25 to start the year. And now it's looking like a bowl game is unlikely. So, you know, it, it's year three for him. So are people kind of saying like, oh, you know, he needs to get his own players in. Or are there legitimately people being like, ooh, is, is this the right guy for the job? Yeah, so those those same people we were talking about earlier who are thinking fondly about the D'Antonio glory days, um, those are the people who are getting impatient with Tucker. Um, I think there's still quite a lot of patience. It, it may not be the loudest voices in the room, but I think a, a majority of the fan base, especially the older ones, grew up with guys like John L. Smith in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, just a lot of mediocre coaches who kind of just limped through. Um, so yes, there is certainly a big se- a segment of the fan base that's getting really frustrated with Tucker. Um, and I will say he doesn't make it easy as easy on himself. Um, I mean, he does a lot of like PR work and that can frustrate people. The talk coming thing. I'm a Michigan, you know, I grew up a Michigan state fan. I cover the team. That gets pretty annoying. Um, if I was an opposing big 10 fan, I really wouldn't like that. And I would use that as fodder. So like the pictures with the crews, everything, he makes it, easy to make fun of him he makes it an easy target but uh, I think a majority of the fan base is still kind of like let's see where this plays out it's a bad season but where D'Antonio left the program you still have time to build yeah and so one of the uh you know parts of the offense that hasn't been as good obviously the run game hasn't been great but they sort of rely on their pass heavy offense with Peyton Thorne who has 12 touchdowns and eight interceptions that's this year you know not the best touchdown to interception ratio but what stands out to me is that Jaden Reed is not the number one receiver uh, yardage wise or touchdown wise right now. That's Keon Coleman. Um, I went to Naperville North High School and Peyton and Jaden both went to Naperville Central. So I, you know, watched them in high school and stuff. And everyone was talking about how they were going to be, you know, the one one connection. So what's going on with that, you know, connection right now? Is Jaden just getting, you know, extra coverage? Is it a down year for one of them? Like what's going on in that situation? And does Michigan State really miss Naylor? I, I feel like that was an underrated aspect of the passing offense last season. Yeah, so when it comes to the passing offense, um, like you mentioned there, Keon Coleman has been kind of a the breakout star. Um, there was a lot of hype about hype about him in Can or uh, he he originally was committed to Kansas as a dual sport athlete, eventually switch switch commitment to MSU. So from the start, he's been a fan favorite. He was electric this year. He had a couple of incredible catches against Michigan last week. So he's been a really 
just incredible. Uh, you can see the chemistry developing between him and Thorne. But uh, when it comes to Jaden Reed, that that's one, honestly, I, I can't give you a, a strong answer on that one. It's, it's been a bit confusing. Um, I will say he missed, I believe, at least one game, maybe two, um, against Akron or Western Michigan. He went off the sideline. He was pushed off the sideline, hit a bench really hard to the point where he needed stitches. So he had to recover for a few weeks, kind of sit out, um, recover from there. So I think for a few weeks, he wasn't at 100%. And I think he's getting there. Um, but it is surprising that he hasn't been the vocal point of the offense. I mean, last year we saw multiple times, like against Michigan, against uh, against Pitt in the bowl game. Like when when push comes to shove, they're going to put the ball in Jaden Reed's hand when they get in trouble. And we just haven't seen that this season. Um and, and in terms of the passing attack, Peyton Thorne has been just okay. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why you haven't seen Jane Reed. Maybe if Thorne was having a better season, you'd see the ball in, in Jane Reed's hands more. But uh, I, I honestly couldn't answer. Jane Reed is, is one of the best players on this team. He's he's going to be an NFL guy. Um, and, and it's just been really confusing to see that chemistry kind of be choppy this year. But uh, Keon Coleman has been the guy that's come up. Um, a guy like Naylor is missed, but I think the receiving core is good. It's just for whatever reason, uh, there's not a lot of chemistry, it feels like. And and I think part of that is when you can't get a rhythm in the run game. Um, you you know, first and second down, you get like two yards from a Jalen Berger run, from a Broussard run. So it's like third and seven. The defenses know what's going to come. And then you're going to try and target a guy like Reed or target a guy like Coleman. It's just when you have an offense that inconsistent, I think it hurts the run game or excuse me, the passing game. And I think that's part of the reason, too. We, we just haven't seen what we saw last year. So then what about the production in the tight end game? Because the number one tight end on the roster is Daniel Barker, who, of course, is an Illinois transfer. In 2019, yeah. he had the game winning touchdown catch and that, you know, co uh, historic comeback for Illinois to become bowl eligible. Uh, you know, Daniel Barker is going to get a new QB this year, a new offensive coordinator, but he still decides to transfer to Michigan State, where he only has 145 yards and a touchdown on the year. So, I mean, what were the expect expectations for Barker coming in? And do you feel like he should be, you know, used more in the offense? So it's his his usage has been really confusing because when they decide to because MSU actually has two really good tight ends. They have Daniel Barker and they have Malik Carr. Uh uh, Payton, uh, Payton Thorne, Jay Johnson, um, in one of his conferences earlier in the season said he likes to make tight ends a focal point of the offense. And that's just something we haven't seen this year. I mean, you mentioned it there, Daniel Barker is a really talented guy and, and Malik Carr, and they just have not gotten a lot of targets for whatever reason. And when they do, they're, they're good with it. It's not like, it's not like you drop some schemes and get the ball in their hands and they're not performing. I mean, Malik Carr, when he gets yards after catch, he he just blitzes off. And, and Daniel Barker had an incredible one-handed catch. Um, I think it was against Akron and Western Michigan, one of the two Mac schools. Like, when they get the ball in their hands, they're pretty darn good. And, and they're a pretty underutilized part of this offense. And, again, that's just another coaching decision where I can't really explain why they aren't being used more. Um, Jay Johnson himself said he likes to use the tight end more, and we're just not seeing it. Um, again, it can, might come back to offensive consistency, but uh, – it's odd. Tight ends are a strength for MSU. I'd like to say they're not being used. Um, I will say expectations for Daniel Barker weren't super high going into the season, just because I think a lot of people put their focus on guys like Keon Coleman um, and Jaden Reed and, and Trey Mosley in the receiving core. But certainly people who know ball uh, had their eyes on Barker and, and he's just hasn't earned those stats. I, th I think as a result of coaching. Yeah, when he transferred to Michigan State, I was like, here's your Deion Sims. Like, here's your Josiah Price. And you just have not seen the production. It was an issue at Illinois, too. That's why he transferred. Like, he'd have 12 catches and five of them are touchdowns. You know, he seems like a pretty good talent. Just, you know, wrong place, wrong time always for Daniel. 
Yeah, it's yeah. tough. And, you know, I had a question about, you know, the offensive line. Like, how do you feel like, you know, they've done protecting Payne Thorne? Like, is Payne Thorne under pressure a lot, or does he have time in the pocket against most opponents? So in terms of protection, um, I don't have the stats up right now, but they've been pretty middle of the pack. Um, they're certainly against good defensive lines. It's been a real struggle uh, against Ohio State. Ohio State's defensive line just harassed him all day long. Um, but that's not certainly been the reason uh, for his for his failures. I think the offensive line has been a lot worse in the run game. Um, that's where you just you don't see much push, even on those fourth down, those, you know, especially at Michigan State, you know, under Mark D'Antonio growing up and watching his teams, like on fourth and one, you knew it was going to happen. There was going to be heavy offensive personnel and we we're going to give it to our back or the QB sneak and, and we're going to get that first down and, and we're going to win in the trenches. Um, and this offensive line is just not doing that. They, they go for fourth down. It feels like every week they have multiple fourth down attempts and it more times than not seems to fail. And that's a result of that offensive line. So in terms of pass protection, okay, but certainly not an issue. So moving over to the defense, uh, Mel Tucker, you know, before he was a head coach, was a defensive guy, specifically a defensive back guy, right? At Michigan State uh, in the NFL, he was a defensive back coach under Nick Saban. And the secondary has been a real weakness, right, of the Michigan State defense. So is this, you know, a scheme issue or is this more of just a lack of talent issue for Michigan State? Again, that's where it just comes into both. Um at the beginning of the year and all of last season, they ran a four-two-five. You get an extra defensive back in, you know, in the backfield. Um, it's kind of the philosophy is a bend don't break type deal. Um, and and this year that bend don't break is just shattered, especially when they went on the four-game losing streak. Um, you know, they they beat two MAC opponents and then lost four straight opponents against competent opponents. So, and, and a big part of that was that secondary. Um, and unfortunately, it's just a combination of scheming and that I think that four two five um, is, is tough to run when you have experienced quarterbacks in the Big Ten uh, or, or just experienced quarterbacks in general who can just pick apart if you and when your defensive line doesn't get much pressure, the quarterback can just sit back there, no matter how many defensive backs you have in the backfield, someone's going to get open. So schematically, they've changed it up a little bit as well. Um, they've been running four three more. And I think you've seen better results after that. But the scheming has been odd. Um, and then personnel is not great. They went and grabbed a few people from the transfer portal. Um, Ronald Williams last year transferred from Alabama. He's been underwhelming. Uh, Amir Speed has actually been decent this year. Uh, they snagged him at the transfer portal. But overall, it's just it's been lackluster both in scheming, in, in personnel. It, it seems to be a common theme with Michigan State. It's a, it's a combination of it seems to be a combination of both scheming and personnel. Um, the only player in the backfield who's really incredible, I would say, uh, is Xavier Henderson. They missed him in that four-game losing streak. I think he was gone for every single one of those. So, uh, yeah, personnel-wise, you're not great. Scheming-wise, you're not helping at all. It's it's just both. So I wanted to ask you about the suspension situation real quick because obviously there was, you know, the incident at Michigan. Um, faults on both sides. It ends up, I believe, are eight players suspended for Michigan State. Yep. So who are those eight guys, and how big of an impact is it going to play for Michigan State and Champaign? So Michigan State's defense has been depleted um, all season. Uh, Xavier Henderson, I mentioned the previous answer. He was gone for a bit. He's back, uh, but he was gone missing for a bit. Um, Jacob Slade was gone from the interior. He's a guy who will probably play on Sundays. He's back. But I say, I'll say when the defense has been depleted this year, they've, they've looked rough. They've had bad performances. The worst defensive performances are when they're depleted. So majority of the players who were suspended, you said the eight there, uh, are defensive players. Now, you have a good combination. You have guys like Kerry Crump, 
um, the guy who was depicted in the film, um, no charges yet, so I can't say for certain, but depicted hitting with a helmet. Um, he's a guy who didn't get any play at all this year. I believe he's a sophomore. Um, uh, then you also have guys like Angelo Gross, a safety who has gotten a lot of starting time. Um, but the biggest loss, 100% the biggest loss, is going to be Jacoby Whitman. Um, in the tunnel video that was released by ESPN, so not the one that was taken like on the field, the one that was kind of the distant, um, you saw Jacoby Whitman involved. They eventually suspended him. That is going to be a massive, massive hole for this Michigan State defense. Um, they've already had some injuries at linebacker this year. Um, Jacoby Whitman has been one of the few bright spots of the defense. He's a linebacker. Um, actually played on the defensive line a lot of the season, um, almost like a uh, – uh, Von Miller type where, you know, you can line up, you can blitz the quarterback. You can also kind of drop back to the coverage. So he's, he's been a star. He's been stellar this season. He forces fumbles. He gets to the quarterback. He, he makes stops in the run game and, and he's gone, he's gone for this game. And, and so that, that's the thing with this eight suspended players, it's certainly the right move. And I'm glad to see the university confront the issue because it was horrific. Um, I mean, I was, I was there, I wasn't in the tunnel, but just kind of seeing those images and stuff, it just, your hard drop seeing that. So I'm glad the university is taking care of, but in terms of production on the football field, it's going to hurt, especially this Saturday. Yeah, you know, it's going to hurt. And, you know, for Illinois, they're going to try to establish the run with Chase Brown, you know, run it for 175, 200 team yards and kind of eat up, you know, eat the clock. Do you trust this Michigan State defense to slow down Chase Brown? Like, how do you think Michigan State performed against like Braylon Allen of Wisconsin, you know, against Blake Horm of Michigan? Like, can they you know, bottle up Chase Brown, because that's probably the only way they could probably win this game. I don't, I don't trust them to do it. Um, so against Wisconsin, they didn't run this defensive scheme against Michigan, which is weird because they run first, but they said a lot that they were bringing in those heavier personnel. They ran a four, three instead of the four, two, five against Wisconsin um, to try and bottle up that run. Um, and, and overall, I thought it, they did an okay job defensively, but Braylon Allen still had over 150 yards, I believe. Um, Blake Corum had a good game against it. Like MSU defensively has been good nowhere. Um, and the scheming certainly doesn't help. And and to be honest with you, I just don't think there's a way they stop Chase Brown, especially with a guy like Jacoby Winman, who's good in the run game, especially with the depleted defensive end room. Um, I just don't see how they can stop Chase Brown this year. They're going to have to try and stack the box like they did against Wisconsin, try and get that extra linebacker in there or an extra corner. Get get your defensive backs involved in the run game. That's the only way you're going to stop it. And even then, with eight players gone, I just don't see how they do it. So, Alex, what's the key, you know, to the game then for Michigan State? Because if you don't think they can stop Chase Brown, are you going to rely on your secondary to stop the passing game? Because Tommy DeVito's been a very good transfer quarterback this year, and he's got a couple different threats. He's got Isaiah Williams, the team's leader in receiving yards, who has made his way for long touchdown runs. You've got a deep threat in Brian Hightower, who's also more of a move-the-chains guy. Pat Bryant's more of a do-it-all. So, like, what what's the key for the Michigan State defense to, you know, try and stop Illinois? I mean, the one thing they're going to have to do is is turnovers. Um, if there's one thing about Michigan State's secondary that is good is they hit hard. Um, and they talk about how they, they coach to hit hard. They've got four spells this season. Um, you know, guys like Xavier Henderson come in there just, you know, fired out of a rocket trying to, get you know, get the ball loose. So, it, it sounds stereotypical, but you're going to have to get some stops on defense. Charles Brantley against Ohio State, um, he had a pick six. Like, you're going to have to have a play like that because, like we talked about in the previous answer, I, I just don't see how they can consistently stop a guy like Chase Brown. Um, you're going to have to try 
and and harass Tommy DeVito and, and try and get him to make mistakes. And and you guys mentioned there though that's going to be an issue because he's been pretty good this year, um, pretty good in in most facets. So uh, unfortunately for Michigan State, it's it's all about getting turnovers. You know, I would say offensively, Michigan State does have the capabilities of hitting it deep. You know, I I do respect the wide receiver core. I think Barker is untapped potential. Like when Illinois played Nebraska, Casey Thompson had nine completions for 170 yards. Like, do you trust that Payne Thorne, you know, can find the guys down deep? Like what kind of happened against Michigan? Because, you know, Mel Tucker in the first half was like, hey, Michigan can't stop her wide receivers. You know, they were hitting on big plays. What happened in the second half? Why did that slow down so much? So we're going to talk about our buddy Jay Johnson again. Um, the first couple of drives, I think they, they went three and out for the first three drives of the second half. Um, the first drive or the second drive, I think they took two shots deep. Other than that, short short run for a short game. Um, you get yourself in situations where it's third long and then you try and take a deep shot. Um, again, that I think the the lack of production from Peyton Thorne in those passing situations is they run when it's obvious and they pass when it's obvious and they just make it too easy for opposing defenses. Um, you mentioned it there, like Peyton Thorne has shown an ability to go down the field. Uh, him and Keon had were electric in the first half. Um, last year, Jane Reed and him had an incredible chemistry guy like Speedy Jalen Naylor. He he was electric at times. So Thorne can definitely do it, but they have to, they have to, he has to be called upon to do it, I guess. Um, mix in more of that passing game and, and find some consistency in the run game. In hitting the deep ball to me is more about scheming and about establishing a run than it is about Peyton Thorne or his receivers. So, yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're not, you know, too confident in this Michigan State defense. And what, you know, the scene's going to be like tomorrow is probably the, uh, first sellout or as close as you can get to it in Champaign since 2016. It's going to be a good atmosphere. Illinois is hot. Michigan State's not. So with all that being said, what is your score prediction for the game? Uh, I have 31-13. I think, uh, I think Illinois is going to grind this game out. I think you, you're going to look at time of possession and it's going to be comical. I think it's going to be like Illinois is 42 minutes or something. Just something that if you're a Michigan State fan, it's just going to make you sick. Um, I think Bielema is just going to run all over this team. Uh, I think Michigan State's offense might have some explosive moments. I think they probably put up like 13 or 14 points. I think they get to double digits just because of a few explosive plays. Um, but overall, I, I'm just not confident about the ability of this team to to go into a hostile environment against a good team um, that, that plays exactly the way that we can't stop. <laughs> Before the season, what would be your score prediction? It's August 15th. Oh, oh. Illinois, Michigan State, what would you predict? Before the season, I would have been pretty confident in a Michigan State victory. Something like something like 27, like 10, just like the defense is, is solid. Just like a like an, a typical Big Ten, like kind of close in the first half, pull away in the second. Um, yeah, and, and Illinois has been completely shocking to me this season. I mean, you, you showed flashes last year, but I mean, Bielema has the program rolling right now. So definitely, definitely shifted my opinion a bit. Yeah, I totally agree. All right, well, Alex, we're going to let you go. Thank you so much for coming on. It's always great to get a student journalist perspective uh, like ourselves. So we really appreciate it, man. I uh, hope you have a good one. Yeah, thanks. It was good to be on. Go green. See you later, man. <laughs> See you later. Shout out to Alex Faber. He did a really good job. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice to get a student journalist perspective, especially since that's what we're doing. But um, he does. The, my takeaway from him is that he does not sound confident. Like he sees a team that is already having a terrible year defensive wise. You got 
three or four more impact guys suspended for the Illinois game going against an Illinois offense that's been like getting its groove lately. Yeah, you know, you look at Michigan State media, you know, Detroit Free Press, everybody's predicting an Illinois victory and pretty much all of them are expecting Illinois to cover. Yeah. Like you see scores like 26 to 7, you know, 31-13, that was his score prediction. Yeah. You know, if you're Michigan State and you look at Illinois, they're built the same way as Michigan. They run the ball, they have a strong defense, and they don't turn it over. You know, what is Michigan State going to do to take the game back? Like, they're not going to be able to stop Chase Brown. I think Michigan State's probably going to have 38 minutes of time of possession, and it's going to just be a very crisp, you know, Illini performance. Yeah, like I've said it before, you know, like, is the win going to come into play tomorrow? Maybe. That would help it, Illinois. It might, but if anything, it helps them because he just said – he does not trust the defensive line of Michigan State to stop Chase Brown, especially with their best player on the defensive yeah. end, who is a defensive lineman, getting suspended. So I just I expect Chase Brown to run all over him. And like when he does that, I expect that to open up the passing game too. I think Illinois is a very disciplined, disciplined team, possibly more disciplined than Michigan too. I think Illinois is going to put up points. Like I, I, you know, I've said it on the radio this week. I think that because this is probably going to be a sellout at Memorial. You know, usually once Illinois gets the lead, they play a little bit more conservative. Yeah. I don't see that happening. I think that Brett's going to, you know, possibly run it up a little bit, and I expect a big victory. I definitely expect Illinois to cover. The only way Michigan State wins this is if they turn it into a shootout. Yeah. Like if, you know, Payne Thorne's getting the ball, you know, out of his hands quick so he doesn't get sacked by Randolph or Newton, you know, I could see this team putting up some yards through the air. Like if Payne Thorne finished with 250 yards – that wouldn't be that shocking. Yeah. I mean, I do think Michigan State has a good air attack. They have good personnel for it. It just depends if the offensive line can protect them. Yeah. We talked about Ohio State had phenomenal pressure on them, and they rattled them. You know, Michigan State only scored 10 points against the Buckeyes. Yeah, like, I, you know, Johnny Newton, Keith Randolph, look for a big day from them. Guys like Gabe Yakis, you've always got to look to because he's that third piece on an offensive line that Alex told us isn't having a great year. Yeah. Kind of middle of the road, but Illinois definitely played better offensive linemen. Uh, since then that they've been able to get past. And that just opens up the secondary to do their thing, right? They're an extremely disciplined secondary. You know, like the only miscue we've seen the last few weeks was when Sidney Brown and Kendall Smith had their miscommunication yeah. against Nebraska for their tight end to get away for a touchdown. So if nothing like that happens again, I think Michigan State's really going to struggle to move the ball. Yeah, I mean, they only average 97 yards on the ground per game. Yeah. That is not a formula to win the Big Ten. Like the Buckeyes, yeah, they throw for 250 yards a game, but they're also running for 200. Yeah. Like you've seen Michigan become a Big Ten perennial contender once Blake Corm and Haskins started becoming productive running backs. You have to run the ball for your Michigan State. What would have happened to Michigan State last year if they didn't have Kenneth Walker, you know, being the leading rusher? They probably would have gone like four and eight. No, I mean, you look at the Michigan win last year. You know, we've said it before. Peyton Thorne didn't throw a touchdown. Yeah. He had an interception. Kenneth Walker, I believe, had five touchdowns. He had five touchdowns, 196 yards or something. And we were talking to Alex, and he told us, like, guys, the, the offensive line wasn't anything amazing last year. I think he said it was about middle of the pack in the Big Ten again. Kenneth Walker is just a true blue NFL running back, which we're seeing now, right? He's the leader for offensive rookie of the year in the NFL. Mm -hmm. So it's amazing what one superstar can do because the rest of the Michigan State team, you know, unfortunately has been exposed to uh, just seem kind of mid. Yeah. And for the Michigan State program, like I do think the future is bright. Like you're recruiting well. You know, they do have great players like Jaden Reed. They do recruit at a high level. But this year, you know, it's been a struggle, you know, when you can't run the ball and you didn't make any adjustments on defense from last season, yeah, it's going to be a tough year. I, I asked Alex about the uh, the secondary, right, because Mel Tucker's yeah. been a defensive backs coach. And, and I said, you know, is this a problem with the talent on the roster or the scheme? 
And, and surprisingly, he said both, right? He said the talent is sort of there, but the scheming has not been good. I think that there are serious concerns about this Michigan State staff, too. And kind of like Brett Bielema made adjustments on the offensive side of the ball, you hope for Michigan State's sake that Mel Tucker can do the same and, you know, get the right guys in there. Because we know Michigan State can get talent. We know that they're a pretty good program. I mean, you grew up watching them. Yeah. It's just very concerning, you know, what they've shown so far in year three of Mel Tucker. And it just seems from what Alex was saying, inconsistent scheming. Yeah. Like against the Badgers, they moved to a 4-3 defense to try to slow down, you know, Braylon Allen. And Braylon finished with 123 yards, but he only averaged four yards a carry. So that's that can be a winning formula. Like don't allow the big 50-yard play. Like offenses will get tired. Like, you know, you can slow down the running back. And then they play Michigan, then they go to a 4-2-5, yeah. which allows Blake Corn to have, you know, easier path to the second level. So this Michigan State program has to figure it out. And, mm-hmm. You know, luckily for Illinois, they're playing this week with eight players out and coming off a pretty disheartening uh, performance against Michigan. As odd as it may sound, this is probably the most confident I've been in, in an Illinois win all year. Really? Yeah, yeah. honestly. Like, I, I'm trying to think if there's a team Illinois played in this atmosphere that I felt, you know, better about. Like, we do expect a sellout tomorrow, which is pretty cool for Illinois. Uh, if the wind has anything, you know, come into play, that's only beneficial for Illinois. Michigan State just seems like an absolute mess, especially after the scuffle at Michigan last week. Yeah, that's true. That was not a good look for the program. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, should we give some score predictions? Uh, yeah, score predictions. I Score predictions, yeah. Like I think Michigan State's going to perform somewhat better than people think because I do trust you know, Jaden Reed. I do like Payne Thorne. I think Barker could have a good game. So I could see them getting over 200 yards, you know, through the air. But who's going to stop Chase Brown? So I think Illinois wins 24-14. Yeah, I'm going to say, you know, Michigan State scored seven at Michigan last week. Um, Maybe Illinois has one defensive mistake, so Michigan State gets up to 10. But like I've been saying, I do think Illinois is going to be able to score whenever they want to. And Brett may be a little less conservative with his play con in the second half. I'm going to take Illinois 34-10. to Easy cover, easy win in Champaign. And it's going to be interesting to see the weather because if it's pouring down, um, Payne Thorne's not going to be able to throw the football no, all around. No, he's not. Like, that is Illinois' wish. Like, yeah, maybe the sellout crowd won't be as electric, but I think it almost guarantees an Illinois victory. So right now, the weather forecast for Champaign tomorrow, 40% chance of rain at 11, no storms. And after that, there's no projected rain. So it's going to be high 50s and windy. And the wind is going to be pretty strong, but mm-hmm. that goes both ways. So you can't, you know, read too much into that. But... I expect Illinois to have field day, and I'm excited to watch them. Be a good game. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the Daily Illinois Sports Podcast. Huge shout-out to Alex Faber for coming on, giving great insight uh, from Michigan State, and that'll do it for the episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening.